Let's turn to the Scriptures this morning. I may do another week at this because I've just had so many thoughts on it. Um, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, please. Nehemiah. There are children away to the crest. I wasn't sure what way we were working yet, so if you want to send the children up, there they can go on up. God bless them. Bless the Lord. The book of Nehemiah. How do we find it? You're looking for it. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Corinthians. Or Chronicles, sorry, not Chronicles. That's the New Testament. Chronicles. And then after that, you'll have Ezra, Nehemiah. Okay. Let's just read the f- a few verses. I'll tell you what. Let's just see how we get on first. Let's just read it. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and he, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there are in the province, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him, and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest, thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the utmost part of the heaven... Yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are the servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. We're going to look this morning at the cupbearer and the wall builder. The cupbearer and the wall builder. Let's just buy in another word of prayer. Father, we ask you that you would just settle us now in our hearts, in your presence. Yea, Lord, even in our seats. And I pray, O God, that you would take your own inspired and divine holy writ 
and that you would inscribe it upon every single heart and that you would imprint it into every single mind and give us a heart after God. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. We want to give you a little bit of background of what's happening this morning. I'll take my time at it as well. Nehemiah is a captive of the house of Judah. Notice what it tells you here in the Scriptures. The Lord says in verses 8 and 9, Remember, he says, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses. This is way past now the time of Moses receiving the commandments of God, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. And God did that. But notice this, verse 9, But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven. Notice where many of them are now, being moved to the uttermost part of the heaven. Yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Something we have to look at first of all is that Nehemiah is from the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel have been taken away captive and scattered. They're now moving. They're on the move. They're gathering into an immense multitude in the earth, as it were, or around where would be now Armenia and into around the Caucasus Mountains area. They become so numerous, but now the enemy comes down and carries away the house of Judah. We read of Daniel in the lion's den in Babylon from the house of Judah. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We read of Ezekiel's prophecy by the river Chebar. All men from the house of Judah but they're now in Babylon. We read of the psalmist saying, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land when Judah, or that's the nickname where the, of Jew comes from, or where they are brought out into Babylon. They're saying, we can't worship you, God. They're asking us to sing songs that we sang in the temple. They're asking us to praise you like we used to, but we can't do it. It's impossible for us because we feel so far away from you and we have fallen so far away from you in our sin. How can we sing the Lord's song in the strange land, they say? And they hang their harps upon the willows. Here Nehemiah has found a position in Babylon. And he said at the very last of verse 11, for I was the king's cup bearer. So now in Judah, he has came to a place of prominence, a place where he would have sway even at times. But nevertheless, it was a delicate place and a delicate position. They say that the ritual, being so delicate of the operation done of the cupbearer, was done right before the king's eyes. So what do we mean? So bear with me. They were to wash their hands, first of all, before the king. The king would sit on his throne and they would show they had clean hands. Clean hands. And then after saying that there was nothing untoward to touch the king's cup, that there was nothing dirty nor poisonous in their own hands, then they would take the cup with two little fingers and they would have it with wine in it and take their left hand and pour a little drop into their left hand. And before the king, here they would put it to their lips and they would sup and taste of the wine. They would taste to see if it was too bitter if it wasn't matured right, 
the wine given to the king could cause him to be furious. He could lose his position or maybe even his head. He would see if there was any poison in it. What if someone is trying to dispose of the king and usurp his power and authority and, and I give this to him, it's on my shoulders, it's on my head. What a, what a position to be given. And this man, Nehemiah, he said, I was the king's cup bearer. In other words, he said to them, I understand what it's like to stand in a place and be challenged. You see, the problem is many of us in the, the church in general are, we don't want to be challenged anymore. We don't want to be challenged with the Word of God. Many don't want to be challenged in the service of the King. Don't want to be challenged when we hear of national issues in case we're seen or deemed to be, you know, those people that are a little bit too stalwart. To take their stand, even as we heard from this pulpit on Friday evening. To take what God has given us and to defend it and to run with it and to stand up for it. Nehemiah was going to do this and God was working in Nehemiah and he didn't even realize it. Every time you come to church, this morning, this evening I hope, every time you take a pew, every time you sit in the seat, it's that you may hear to be challenged. To be encouraged, yes. To be built up, yes. But to be challenged. Why? Because God starts to work in you. God works in you as you come under the sound of his word. There are many places that are not taking the word and they're not eating the word. They're not preaching the word. Why? Because people don't want to be challenged. The challenge of a man and a woman's heart by God is the most precious thing they could ever receive. Oh, I thought blessing was, oh no, the challenge is, the conviction is, because then God is showing, you're mine and I love you. I want to do something with you. I've been challenged and I've been convicted. I've been tried many times and sure many, if not all of us have. But when God gives us something to chew on, sometimes it's not too easy to swallow. And this man, Nehemiah, had a job that he had a lot to think upon. He had a lot to chew over. But he wanted to get it right. And even where he was before the king, God was doing a work in Nehemiah. God's doing a work in you this morning. God is doing a work in you and he has a job for you to do. This delicate operation was, they poured it in to taste it, then all being well, he had to decide the taste of the king. See what the king wanted, how the king's will was, how the king had decided, what the king's taste might be like, he had to come under his authority. He had to come under his will, and he had to take the things that he might like the taste of and give it over to the king And say, Lord, I am wanting my taste to be like your taste. My king, I want my taste to be your taste. But rather I want what your taste is to be known to my taste. And so we see some similarities, the things that happen here. And the cupbearer here in Nehemiah, he washes his hands, he takes the cup, he pours it gently, he tastes it. 
And as he thinks all is well, he takes it by finger and thumb, we are told. And he delicately and very gently gives it into the hand of the king. What a difference. What a difference there is between the kings of this world and the king of glory. What a difference. What a difference between the kings of this world and the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, our king. Instead of you and I being his cupbearer and standing in the place of death and us standing in the place of bitterness, he took our place. He took our place and he stepped into this sin-cursed world. He walked as a man And he came and bore our bitterness. He drank our bitter cup. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 42, the Lord Jesus is in Gethsemane under those gnarled olive trees. It's the night when he was being betrayed and arrested to be crucified. And listen to what he says. Listen to the pathos in his voice. He says, oh, my father. Think about that. Many of us are, oh, dear Lord Jesus, uh, thanks very much uh, for this. And don't forget to bless my auntie Aggie's bad back and sore thumb and all this sort of stuff, you know. I'm away again. Christ in the garden. From the heart, he said, oh, my father. The man in the garden was a man on Golgotha. He is now the man in the glory. Notice this. Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Here he takes the place of a captive of your sin and mine. Here he is our substitute. Here he is in Gethsemane and the weight of our sin and sorrows, our sickness and sufferings, the weight of all our depravity of our human uh, condition and humanity. Here the loom of the Roman cross, the gibbet, the tree. Here the nails of hand and feet before his very face. With the weight of it, he thinks he's going to die in the garden. That's the way it reads. My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Do you ever feel, I think I'm going to die. This is killing me, Lord. I think I'm going to die. Oh, well, think of him. Think of him. For he took yours See what you think you're going to die of. He took it. See the sorrow. He took it. See the conviction of your sin that you're so sorry and you just can't shed it off because you don't receive fully the grace of God and be washed in the blood. Notice, he took it. He bore it. See the sickness in your body. He took it. I'm going to die of this. No, he says, I have taken it. 
I bore it. And in the garden here, as things come upon him, and he's rooming, it's rooming before him, ready for the great sacrifice, he goes, Oh, my Father, it's your will, not mine. Do you know what he's saying, Father? Your taste of the cup is my taste of the cup. Because you and I are one. Notice this. The lovely Son of God. The lovely Son of God drank the poison chalice of our sin. We're told in our chapter of Nehemiah being this cupbearer and he's before the king and men come to speak to them. Now, we haven't time to go into this a lot, but in the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 2, you'll read this, just a couple of verses here. Now, these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away onto Babylon, and came again unto Jerusalem and Judah, every one to his city. Now notice the region that's mentioned, just Jerusalem and Judah. Israel in the north isn't mentioned. Why? Because they've all been taken. There's only little people, little remnants who have escaped. And the Assyrians started to populate. Samaritans or Samarians that were there started to repopulate the area to try and keep everybody away, that there would be no more, no Judaites coming up. There'd be, you're not going to have any Jewish activity up here. And Babylon then, they're carried away. And the, some of the ones that were carried away, God had a plan to bring them back in again. God had a plan and they didn't realize it was written in God's word. I'll show you it in a moment. And you see, God has a plan. And you may not see it at the moment, God has a purpose for something that maybe you're going through and you can't handle it at the moment, but think of him. And God has a reason for all things. It just hasn't been accomplished yet. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 says, to everything there is a season. Will you say season? Say, I'm going through a season. I'm going through a season. To everything there is a season and a time. Say a time. This is our time. This is our time. It may not be the time, but it is a time. Maybe it is the time. When God moves and breaks through on your behalf and brings all things to his plan and purpose and will. And so these Judahites, are, they're in captivity. Where are you, Lord? Who's ever thought like that? Who's ever thought, where are you, Lord? I have. I have my two hands up. Would you, have you ever thought like that? Would you ever put your hand up? I've thought like Every one of us, I think. Who's thought like that? Doubly me. Doubly me. Where are you? What's happening, Lord? Lord, why is this going on in my life? What is this circumstance all about? You see, there's a time. To every purpose under the heaven, even a time to be born and a time to die. And in that, as David said, my times are in your hands. Everything is under his control. 
See, when Israel were scattered, what are we going to do? That's the end of us. We're lost. Lost sheep. <laughs> you ever read when Jesus comes and he says, I'm not come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They weren't lost to him. They were lost to themselves. And we're lost to ourselves. But we're found in Christ. He finds us. Brother, sister, when you were in the, maybe, I don't know what your lifestyle was, maybe you were in the pub or maybe you were in the club, I don't know, if you were like me, you were up to no good. And I had no thought of Christ in my life. None whatsoever. In fact, was there even a God? I don't know. But he found me. As the wee song says, he found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road. And he poured in the oil and the wine. Yes, he hath brought me up also out of an horrible pit and from the merry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song, a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God, many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. That's your testimony. Your testimony is, is where Christ has brought you from. Yes, but it's where Christ has set you on in your assurance of salvation and where Christ is bringing you to. He's bringing many sons unto glory. Puts a new song in our mouth. Many see it as we praise the Lord wherever we are. So when you think, well, maybe, Lord, where are you? You haven't turned up yet. Maybe sense just... Not yet. Hold on, son. Hold on, daughter. Here they're taken captive. Look at this. Verse 2 of Ezra, chapter 2. Which came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua. See the name there? There he is, Nehemiah. Mispar, and we can go on with the names. The number of the men of the people of Israel. That is the Israel who were there. The southern kingdom. And they come out again and they start to populate just Judah because the the Sumerians were in around the northern part. And then later we read of how Benjamin started to move north. God has a plan and God has a purpose for everything in our lives. See, the cupbearer's prominent job was to make sure that he'd done everything right before the king. Now, if I asked you, or not, if I asked you all to lift up your hand if you've done everything right before the king, because see, if you did, would say then you've just broken one of the commandments. I shall not lie. Bear false witness. Nehemiah, in our reading, It says this, look what it says in verse, chapter 1, verse 3. A remnant come and says, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province, the province is the province of Judah, in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Well, I'm comfortable here. At least if I do things right, 
And if I keep the king happy, Jerusalem's already gone. The temple's near finished. And there's no worship in it now for near 70 years. I'm happy now. Uh, I'll just have to content myself, Lord. Well, that must be all you can do. That must be all that you're able for me, Lord. I'll just content where I am, Lord, then, and, and I'll just feed the king his wine and make sure I do everything right. And for whatever length of time he gives me, then I'll use that. That's the attitude of many of us as believers. And the attitude is, well, I'm happy where I am. I'm not talking about situated in place in church. I'm happy where I am in the Lord. Yes, we can be because he's done it all. But being happy where you are or being content, and that's good to have a contentment. But what when we see all things in the nation falling down around us? What when we see the poverty in every corner, in every street? What when we see our loved ones dying without Christ and our work colleagues? Are we happy to say, I'm comfortable enough. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. We're all going to glory. Or do we get a burden from the Lord to say, I must seek the face of God for our people? Brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with praying for your nation. Everything right about it. There's everything right. Praying for the souls of men and women. Praying for government. Praying for monarchy. Praying for council. Praying for them that they'll make right decisions when it comes to decisions like uh, abortion on demand and things like this. Praying for homes. Praying for families. Praying for marriages. Praying for your children. Praying for your local town or village or street. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, there's everything right about it. Because men and women who do not know Christ will die without Christ. And the heart of Nehemiah showed the call of God in his life. Do you know the heart of a real Christian that shows the call of God in their life? When they have a burden for their people. Christian walk isn't, I'm all right, Jack. Let's just feed the king and we'll be all right. The Christian walk is everyone needs to know about our kinsman redeemer. Everyone needs to know about the Christ of glory. Nehemiah, he hears these men and he says about Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates are offered burned with fire. In other words, there's no walls to hold them up. Everything's burnt. Jerusalem's half wrecked. He says it's empty and there's no, no godly practice in it anymore. There's nothing happening. And so what he says is that, Lord, what are we going to do about this? And God places a heavy burden on him that he can't throw off. Oh God, that you would place a heavy burden on every man and woman that is in this place. Because when God places the burden on the heart, you'll never shake it off. You'll never shake it off. 
cupbearer's job, as I said, was prominent. And little did Nehemiah know that he was the man whom God had in the right place at the right time to fulfill his purpose. I want to say it again. I want you to get this. The cupbearer was in a prominent place. And little did Nehemiah know that he was the right man whom God had in the right place at the right time to fulfill God's purpose. Brother, sister, you may just be the right man or the right woman in the right place at the right time to fulfill God's purpose. That God is saying it's coming. My purpose is going to be fulfilled in you. It's coming. I have a purpose for the things you've gone through. I have a purpose why you've been challenged so much. I have a purpose maybe what happened previously even in another church. I have a purpose why certain things have come your way and you've struggled with trials and, and you've got through it, he says, and you've, you've clung on and you thought you're ready to die. He says, but now I have a purpose. You're the right man, you're the right woman in the right place and it's coming. God's going to breathe on you. God will birth it in you. My wife said something to me yesterday. On Friday evening, What a night we had. Overwhelmed with the response we had and the people in and the night we had and the great word that was brought and the worship was great and all the things that happened. And we're riding in cloud nine as it were and yet I was attacked bodily by the devil. While you were all here eating your sandwiches. (laughs) And the whole night long. And I thought I was hospital bound. Even in the meeting here. And I remember saying, Lord. I went up into my office. Thank the Lord I have my office now. The last one I had to give it over for a storeroom. There wasn't enough room. Well, I'll give it over again if there's not enough room. And I pray there's not enough room. Sorry, Kyle, about the lovely wallpaper. It's, everybody's commented on it. It's beautiful. But if it comes to it, and we need it for God's people, then we need it for God's people. But listen, I went upstairs. I sat with Tommy and Robert, and I never even told you. I thought I was going to take a heart attack and die. An agony in my chest, pains, through my back. And they're talking to me, and I can hardly remember the words we were talking. And when I went out, I thought, Lord, you need to, I'm going to go down here. You need to help me. This is just an attack. And so we come in and I tried to eat and they had a wee bit and I couldn't really eat and people were talking and after I went home, I was bad all night. The whole night, my legs were in agony. My hands, everything. I took pain from head to toe. I thought I was being crushed. And I lay with my chest pumping like this and pains down my arms the whole night. The old devil came the night and he says, Ah, now you're going to die. Ah, you see, now you've just launched this here under God's grace. Ah, now you're going to die. You're not even going to get to preach your first message on the Sunday morning. And I just lay in bed and there was an agony. I never even told Alison. I says, Lord, this liar won't leave me alone. 
but you have bored all. On Saturday, we came around and people were tidying up me. We were only here a couple of hours and away we went and I got into the car and Alison was driving me. I was so tired, so much in pain still. I could hardly stand. I was dizzy. I was lightheaded. And I says, I don't know what's wrong with me, Alison. I feel really ill. Yesterday afternoon. And my wife came out with something. That just, I didn't even tell her this area, but it strengthened me. Dear, it strengthened me wherever you're sitting. You're over there somewhere, are you? You're hiding down there. It strengthened me. And she was driving the car, and I was leaving here, and I was feeling so sick. Didn't want anybody to know. She put her hand on me. She says, love, what do you expect? You've just given birth. God has birthed something. Says, and when you give birth, and I don't know what that's like, but she does. <laughs> You're exhausted. And I went, You're right. You're right. Brother, sister, hear the word of the Lord this morning. God is giving birth all over the place this morning. God is going to give birth. Don't let the devil distract you. God is going to give birth. New birth of souls being saved. New birth of ministries being formed. New birth of people with gifts and talents to bless. And when God starts to do that work in a man, and when God starts to do that work in a woman, there's pain, there's travail. But there's birth at the end of it. He's going to give birth. He's going to give birth. Nehemiah, you know what you don't realize, son? You're the right man in the right place at the right time. And you're going to give birth. Don't worry about your problem. The Lord says, I've got this. I must close. Time's flowing. Nehemiah with a call of God on him, was about to find out that things were about to change. His job would change. His position would change. The place before the king would change. And what Almighty God's plan would start to bear fruit. Notice I say bear fruit and not just begin because the plan of God is already working. See, you think sometimes when it comes to pass that God's plan is only starting to work? No, friend. God has already been working in you. God's already got it planned. There's nothing takes him by surprise. But bearing fruit is the birthing of what God is placing in you. Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to finish with a thought on this. Everyone quotes this. You see it written on things. It's all over the place. Everyone will know it as soon as we start to read it. Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now that's lovely, isn't it? But now let's place it in the context of the Scripture. Go to the verse before it. 
For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished, in other words, there's going to be a time of birthing. After 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. Lord, we can't come to you. That's okay. I'll visit you. He came to me. He came to me when I couldn't come to where he was. He came to me. He says, I'll visit you. Now notice, and perform. God does a visiting. God does a performing. My good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. This is them going to be taken out from Ezra chapter 2. In verse 2, they're taken out to be put in Babylon to learn for God to form in them, for God to do something with them, and then to be brought back again. And only about 42,000 come back out of them all. The rest stayed in Babylon. You read of Esther there, Mordecai. And Haman, who, Haman, who's trying to kill them. That's when you read that. Notice this. My good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Then it's for I know the thoughts I think toward you. Seventy years is like a blink in God's eyes. And you're going through trial and trouble and you think, Lord, it's too long. He says, listen, child, I haven't forgotten you. It's like a blink in my eye. I'm forming something in you. And you will give birth. Here we find, he says in closing, here we find the answer in verse 12. Then, then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Notice, with all of your heart. And I will be found of you. Not I might. I will be found of you. But Lord, you're saying you're coming to us. Yeah, look, folks. Do you see from the start, right to glory, to the kingdom of God set up on this planet when Christ returns? Everything to do with our salvation is all of him from the quickening of the Spirit to see the Lamb of God bearing away your sin, to the calling upon His name, to the keeping of you right through your Christian life, right through to the very end, to the changing at the resurrection, when these vile bodies will be fashioned to be like unto His own glorious body at the second coming of Christ. Everything is of Him, and in between that, His Spirit's working in us. Come and pray. Do you ever get that? The Lord says, come and talk about it. Bring it before me. Lord, I'll do it after the TV program's over. Forget the TV program, he says. Come now. Nehemiah's call in his life would take him from being a cupbearer to a wall builder. And believe it or not, we've just done that as a, an opening remark for what God wants to tell you if you come next Sunday morning. It's just the opening remarks of it. When you leave here today, you're saying, Lord, thank you. Because in everything I'm going through, you're fashioning me. You're making me. 
you're molding me. And the time may be today, maybe tomorrow or whenever, but you will cause a birthing in me. God bless his word to all of our hearts. And this is our first morning in Christ Encounters Tabernacle.